14, 6, as you turn there, just a short word of thanks. Uh, I've been convinced for a long time that the gospel is worthy to be preached, whether there's anybody to hear it or not. Uh, back before I went on uh, vacation for October, I, uh, I did a bicycle race up in Decatur and uh, was able to take the microphone and preach the gospel there. I was by myself in that regard. No one was with me, but the gospel still worthy to be preached. And so I stood at Decatur Courthouse Square and just proclaimed the gospel with everything I had, uh, however many people were there. And uh, so praise the Lord. But yesterday I had the privilege of proclaiming the gospel here in Azel, uh, out at a public park. And it was so encouraging uh, to not be alone. It was encouraging as I preached to look out and to see church member after church member after church member. I was like, wow, we're having church right here. And so I was greatly encouraged to have brothers and sisters in Christ there supporting and praying. And the gospel did go forward. And I believe that Christ was greatly exalted. And so what a joy, privilege to serve in this community and to serve alongside of you. All right, John 14 is where we are today, and we are in verse 6, but let's read, I don't know, 5 and 6, because that way we need to get Thomas. Thomas said, uh, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? And then many of you know this verse, you've memorized this verse, and the clear, direct response from Jesus to Thomas is, Jesus said to them, to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's very clear, very precise. So I entitled the message this morning, The Clarity of Salvation. There can be a lot of confusion out there, but I think the Bible is pretty clear on this issue. So for introduction, let us be reminded of some directions Some people just aren't very good at giving directions. They're just not. Some people talk like roads have no names and signs do not exist. On the farm, it went this way. And I would ask for directions. This is the kind of nonsense I would get. They would say, go down there past Steve's house and turn left. Go just past where Sam kept his cows last year. Turn in at that gate and you go down to the end of the road and it's on the left. Got it. So some people give directions like that. Then you got these other knuckleheads that say so many numbers that you and I quit listening after the first phrase. They say something like this. Go north on Highway 730. Turn left on 1492. Right on 1635. Cross over 51. Turn right on 1354. Go through 2269 and then go through two red lights and you're there. Where? Where am I? I have no idea where I'm at now. And then in the mix of all of that, you have the modern generation. Type it in Google. But then you get two classes of people in Google. You got Charles over here. I know what class he's in. I won't tell you, but I know what class he's in. We type it in Google. Google says, turn right. I know a better way than that. (laughs) Google don't know nothing here. I know a shortcut. And then you got the other group that just whatever Google says they do, even if they end up in hell, they just, whatever it says, they just do it. You got all these different groups with directions. But in our text, thankfully, in our text today, there is clarity for direction, for a relationship with the God of heaven. Now, I know it's for certain that 
religious people have kind of convoluted the gospel over time. They've added and they've subtracted uh, numerous things. And, but when it comes to salvation, at least let's agree on this this morning, that Scripture is clear. We could take text all day and we could say stuff like this. And there is salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. It's pretty clear. Or we could take something like this. You must have repentance towards God in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not that you don't understand. It's clear. Or we could go back to the Old Testament, look unto Jesus Christ and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for He is God and there's none else. It's clear, precise, and direct. Yes, the gospel certainly has a universal ring to it. Let all the world... Black, white, red, yellow, rich, poor, young, and old. The entire globe look to Christ. It's very universal. Whether I preach at By the Word Baptist Church, whether I preach in Honduras, or whether I preach in Chiapas, wherever I preach at in the world, it's, it's the same message. Look to Christ. But it's also very narrow. Very narrow, right? You say, we just told me it was universal. It is. It's just real narrow. How is it narrow? There's only one place, one person that you can look to. Every other person is excluded. Every other way is excluded. Every other scheme is excluded. Every other philosophy is excluded. You must look to Christ alone. There's no other way for salvation to be. Now, our text today, I think it's quite clear in verse 6, that Jesus is the way to God. Jesus is the truth about God. And Jesus is the only life that God will receive. You say, what does that mean? Unless you're in Him, there will be no reception. Because his life is the only receivable life by God because his life is perfect. So we must be in him. Now I'm going to tackle this thing just a little bit differently. I say differently. I don't know how other people do it actually. But let's start in the beginning, the book of Genesis. And we will start with the fall. With the fall. Because I'm convinced of these three truths about Adam. Adam lost his way. Adam lost the truth, and Adam lost his life. So we go back to the beginning, and we look to see that Adam has lost his way. Genesis chapter 2, verses 7 through 9. So be reminded, all the way back at the beginning of creation. So then the Lord formed, or or the Lord created man of dust from the ground, and notice, He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So now we have this living creature created in the image of God. 
an image bearer of God, a, a unity between God and man. Now understand at this juncture, there's no sin. This is relational. This is God and Adam in harmony, created in the image of God. Verse 8, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed or whom he had created. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here was man's way, harmony with God. Everything you need in abundance and plenty. God had been generous, giving him all the trees to partake of. No sin, unity, pleasure, worship. This was the way to live. Have life to the absolute full, a harmonious relationship between God and man. This is what Adam had, but he lost it. Look in Genesis 2, verse 15. The Lord God took the man, and he put him in the Garden of Eden. So even from the very beginning, man has two responsibilities in this relationship with God. And those two responsibilities are to work and to guard. Now ESV says keep, but if you look at the last verse of Genesis 3, the ESV says guard. It's the same Hebrew word. Two responsibilities for Adam. You work this ground I've given you. In a sense, me and you shall work it together. And you guard it. Okay, Because there is an enemy somewhere in this picture, and we'll get to him. So there's a guarding that must go on. Responsibility, fruitful work, no sin, harmonious relationship. What a way to live. You've never really experienced life like this because we have to deal with flesh and fallenness, right? But here in the beginning, this is the way it was. This was the way. This is the only way. Well, he lost this. He lost the truth. Look in Genesis 2, verse 16 and 17. Notice clearly, I try to speak slowly, what God says specifically. The Lord God commanded the man. It's a clear command. This is not confusing. This is what God said. You may surely eat of every tree of the garden. That's generous. Right? You can do it the other way. You know where this text is going, but you can do it the other way. God could have said, you can eat of this one tree, but you can't eat of any other tree. But God didn't put it that way. Kind of like the Sabbath day. He could have said, six are mine and you get one. He did it the other way. I take one, you get six. Here, you get all the trees. Won't you see the goodness and the bounty of God? You eat of everything. But this one... But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For, because, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Generosity, warning. Just abstain from this tree and keep living. Keep being in this way of harmonious relationship. But Adam lost this. Now watch what happens, Genesis 3, how is this lost? Now when you read Genesis 3, 1 through 7, just keep this in mind, and the text says it, it's going to say, the man was with 
her. So keep in context that as this thing is going on, the man and the woman are side by side. Adam and Eve are together. Right there together, and there's this serpent that's going to come. And so this thing is happening with these two people present. Genesis 3, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field uh, that the Lord had made. And he said to the woman, watch this. This is what the serpent said. Did God actually say? Already there's a casting of doubt on the truth of God's Word. Right here, what we would have loved to have seen, right here what says, did God actually say, what we wished was there was Adam saying, yes, he did. That's what he said. If you want a picture of that, go to Matthew 4. Did God say, it is written. That's the way Jesus talks. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of his mouth. Adam didn't answer that way. Eve didn't answer that way. So when the serpent said, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. Well, she knew that much. But God said, notice she does quote God, you shall not eat the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and then she adds to what God said. Then she adds, neither shall you touch it. God didn't say that. She added that. Lest you die, that part God had said. But one little phrase added. But the serpent said to the woman, first time he cast doubt. Now he just blatantly calls God a liar. You will not surely die. God said, you shall die. Serpent says, you shall not die. Somebody's lying. And the serpent is accusing God of lying. He goes on, for God knows when the day you eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was good for food. It was a delight to the eyes. The tree was to be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit. And she ate. She also gave some to her husband, I told you, who was with her. And he ate. Just as a side note, not really a side note, but back what I said earlier, he only had two jobs. Work and guard. He should have guarded his wife right here, and he didn't guard her. He didn't guard himself. He ate. Their eyes were open. They knew that they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together, made themselves loincloths. The the devil says you'll know good and evil, but in reality, Adam lost the truth. He lost it. Truth about God was lost, and what happened when truth was lost? Immediately, shame came in the door. We've got to cover ourselves. We have to hide. You see... The way was a harmonious relationship with God. Truth is lost. Let's hide from God. The way is lost. The truth is lost. And then, as we know, Adam lost his life. You will see the account in Genesis 3, 8 through 20. I'll not take the time to read all of it, but look at the first few verses, Genesis 3, 8. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves 
from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. You cannot have life if you hide from God. You cannot have life. See, life is bound up in relation with God. So you got this world out here. They don't come to church. They don't read the Bible. They don't worship. They don't glorify God. In effect, what are they doing? They're trying to hide. And because they're trying to hide, the reality is they're not living. Because you can't live apart from God. You see, if you're apart from God, you're with the thief, and he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's all they experience. If you want to have life, you must be in a relationship with Christ. You must have that to have life to the abundance. But here's Adam and Eve hiding. And the Lord God calls out to man. We'll make this modern. Dude, where are you at? He says, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Look, God's not clueless here. He knows he's trying to get man to confess his sinfulness. The man says, nothing changes, nothing new under the sun. Adam, just immediately, well, it's the woman's fault. It's all her fault. See, so he just dishes the woman. The woman's like, oh, no, no, it's the serpent's fault. No, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. What's your responsibility? Today, you may think, well, it's Adam's fault. Well, it's my parents' fault. Well, it's the school system's fault. It's the Democratic Party's fault. No, what's your responsibility in your sinfulness? We have to own account for our own hearts. He loses his life because God had said, from the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And we know the New Testament verses, for the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ, Jesus our Lord. Or Ephesians 2.1, you were born dead in the trespasses and sins. A couple of things of application for this fall. Adam lost his way. Adam lost the truth. Adam lost his life. The result of this fall is that the entirety of humanity has been contaminated. The Apostle Paul said it this way, therefore, just as sin, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men. This is the result. Thus, every man is born into the same predicament, unless that predicament is changed by someone outside of himself, he will spend an eternity in hell. That's why we preach the gospel, church. That's why we preach yesterday. That's why we preach to Cody and Jeff go out on Fridays or Saturdays. That's why John goes to the abortion clinic. That's why we try to figure out ways to take gospel Thanksgiving baskets out. That's why we go to the parade and walk down Main Street and pass out gospel bags. Why? Because we believe that man lost his way and lost the truth and lost his life. And the only means of recovery is the gospel. We believe that. It's how we seek opportunities to get the gospel to somebody because without the gospel, they have no hope. There's no opportunity for conversion unless the gospel is communicated. How are they going to believe if someone doesn't preach? How are they going to preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are those who preach the gospel of good news? Somebody got to tell somebody. 
This is the reality of the foundation of humanity. It's fallen. We've lost this relationship. We've lost the truth, and we've lost our lives, and God has the answer. So we move to the redemption back in the Gospel of John. The redemption of humanity. And we take our phrases here, and we have this first phrase, Jesus said to him, to Thomas, very clear, very precise. You don't have to go to seminary to figure this one out. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the definite article is on all three of those on purpose. It's an exclusive claim that only one person can make. You might remember, just let me at least run it by you, but in the Gospel of John, there are seven of these specific I am statements. Jesus says, I am, I am, I am. Who who is Jesus? You might answer the question of who is Jesus this way. He is the bread of life. He is the light of the world. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the way, and He is the true vine. He's all of those things eternally. It's who He is. And He makes that claim. And yes, there are allusions to Exodus where God says to Moses, you tell them, I am has sent you. Those claims there are alluded to here when Jesus says, I am. Now, number one, Jesus is the way. Okay? Know that clearly. Let me give you a warning. It's found twice in the Bible. It's Proverbs 14, 12, Proverbs 16, 25. So as we think about the way, let me give you this warning. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to destruction. So some of us think we know how we're going to do it. There's a way that man has, but it leads to destruction. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about Jesus being the way. You might ask, if you're a little bit curious, you might ask something like this. The way to what? Right? The way to whom? Direction? The way where? Well, let me quote D.A. Carson, very brief here. Jesus is the way to God. Precisely... Because he is the truth of God and the life of God. So just make sure we know where the directions are leading to. There's this thrice holy God in heaven, and there's this fallen humanity on earth. And if this fallen humanity is not brought into a right relationship with this holy God, they will be destroyed. So as I hear that and I feel the weight of my sin upon my life, you make it feel that this morning that you've been cut off, estranged, and you're not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, and you're outside of the covenant of promise, and you feel that, you say, I need direction. How in the world could I possibly be made right with God? He's holy and I'm not. He's perfect and I'm, I'm all messed up. How can I get to God? This is what Jesus is saying. I'm God. This is how you can be restored to the relationship that Adam had in Genesis 2. 
where he can be in a harmonious relationship. You say, God's angry with the wicked every day. Man's at enmity with God. But man, Christ comes in and brings two parties that are diametrically opposed. He brings them together in unity. How can I get to God? He is the way to God. But I would also add these. He's the way, contextually. He's the way to the Father's house. He's the way to the room that Jesus has prepared for me. He is the way, oh, I love it. He's the way out of this world. It's not our home. I, I want to get out of here. He's the way to heaven. He's the way to eternal satisfaction. Here you go. Whole world clamoring for this stuff. Every day, scratching their stupid lotto tickets. I go in the store this week. And I'm like, wow, you're sure happy today. Yeah, it's my lucky day. I know where this is going. She was dusting and hit a lotto ticket, and she won $32, something like that. I don't know what she said. I'm like, yeah, that's going to make a difference in eternity. Like, what is going on with people? Look, they want fulfillment and satisfaction. Jesus is the way to fulfillment. Everything your soul desires, everything within you that wants satisfaction, Jesus is standing in your face going, I'm the way. I'm the way to fulfillment. You'll never be satisfied with trinkets. Sell everything, purchase this land, and have a precious jewel. But without Him, you can have no fulfillment. I don't care what you own. I don't care how much money you have because you don't have a tenth of what Solomon had. You can only be fulfilled. In Christ. When the way is revealed to you, walk in it. Walk in it. Jeremiah said it, right? Jeremiah says, but this command I give to you, obey my voice. I'll be your God, you shall be my people. And walk in the way that I command you, and it will be well with you. Fulfilled, meaning, purpose. Walk this way in Christ, and it will be well with you. Does that mean that things bad don't happen? It doesn't mean anything like that at all. But it means you'll be well. It means that if you're sailing across the sea, and the whole family drowns, that you could take a ship and go across the same part of water where your whole family drowned, and you could write a song that's titled this, It is well with my soul. How do you write that? Because if you're in this way, it will be well with your soul. Well, well, that's nice. The way is Christ. Also, Jesus is the truth. The truth about what? The truth about God. So here we are this morning. Maybe we'll be like Pilate. Pilate says to him right before the crucifixion, he says, What is truth? Maybe he should have said, Who is truth? Truth. His truth was standing right before his very eyes. Whereas Adam lost the truth in what he said and did, Jesus only spoke exactly what the Father told him to speak. And he only did what the Father showed him to do. Jesus has redeemed everything that Adam lost. There's nothing in this. Jesus' thoughts, his words, or his actions that give misinformation about God. Whatever you would derive and understand from Christ 
would be a right reflection of the God of heaven. Or you could go back to the beginning of this great gospel and it would sound like this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. He's full of it, overflowing with it. He's all true. (laughs) For the law was given through Moses. Anybody? But grace and truth, it came through Christ. All of it. Anything you know to be true, you must have derived it from Him because He's the source of all truth. Adam lost it, but Christ didn't. Christ has it all. He knows everything because He's omniscient. Every true thing about God is in Him. All the shadows of the Old Testament point to one reality of truth. Christ, on every page, every nook and every cranny, every jot, every tittle, every prophecy, every innuendo, all of Scripture has one main character in this drama, and it's Christ. He's the truth. David's cool. Samuel's cool. Solomon's kind of neat. We've got all these neat characters, but they ain't nobody like Christ. He's the truth. In this context, truth is not an it Holy Spirit's not an it, and in this context, truth is not an it. Truth is very much a person. The person who came down from heaven to redeem what Adam lost. Without Christ, I doubt that you'd know much of anything about God. And then thirdly, Jesus is the life. We have the way, we have the truth, and the life. He's the only life that God will receive. He's the source, if you will. And the giver of life. You can't derive life from any other means, any other subject, any other process. The only way you can live is to be in Christ. There's no life outside of Christ. Now, there may be existence. And some people in this room are existing. Um, meaning what? You eat. You, you go to school. You go to work. You, you exist. You make decisions. You buy things. You have Christmas turkey dinner. You exist. But you don't live until you repent towards God and place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and profess that publicly through baptism. Unless these things are happening, you're just going through life waiting on hell. That's all you're doing. Because every day you're getting closer to judgment day, which God's going to find you guilty and cast you into hell because you're not in Christ. Jesus is the life. I would say to you this morning, he's the source and giver. You know the verse. For God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son. That whoever would believe in him would not perish. They'd have something. They'd possess something. What is it? Everlasting life. What about John 6, For the bread of God as he comes down from heaven. You know what he does? He gives life to the world. Or in John 10, 28, I give them eternal life. He's the source. He's the only one who can give it. I would also say to you, as he said to the sister, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. I would also say to you, he's the light of life. He says, I am the light of the world. Whoever, whoever would follow me, you'll never walk in darkness. 
The blessed promise. He's, he's the words of life. Simon Peter says to him, Lord, where are we going to go? You, you possess the words of life. We, we live based off what you say. We're, if we're to leave, we won't have any life. We want to be close to you. He came to give us life. But not just to give us life, but to give it in abundance, overflowing. A thief over here stealing, killing, and destroying. Jesus says, look, this is the whole reason I came. I want to give life, but I want to give it to the abundance. Look, I, here I am, 53 years old. I haven't been shortchanged at all. I can tell you all these stories where things are tough and things are hard. We survived, scratched two pennies together, and all these different events that happened in my life. But I can tell you this, I've never been shortchanged. Why? Because I have life. At any point in my life previous to this, if I would have died, I'd have woke up in glory. And there's no regrets in that. It was life to the full when it's hard, when it's good, when there's tough times and when there's praise times. All of it is satisfying because it's abundant and overflowing. And he gives a life of communion with the Father. Remember John 17, 3. He says, and this is eternal life. What is eternal life? Jesus says, that they know you, the only true God, and Christ whom you have sent. Now, I don't think it'll be too difficult, but this here is a great wording of John 14, 6. It's a sonnet. I don't know if you know what a sonnet is, but it's a fixed verse in 14 lines. 14, 14, 14. So that's the way it's laid out. It's written by D.A. Carson. Listen to the way, truth, and life as we conclude that section this morning. Listen to how he words it. It's worded this way. I am the way to God. I did not come to light a path to blaze a trail that you may simply follow my tracks, pursue my shadow like a prize that's cheaply won. My life reveals the life of God, the sum of all He is and does. So how can you, the sons of night, look on me and construe my way as just the road that you run? My path takes in Gethsemane, the cross, and stark rejection draped in agony. My way to God embraces utmost loss. Your way to God is not my way, but me. Each other path is dismal swamp or fraud. I stand alone. I am the way to God. Second, I am the truth of God. I do not claim I merely speak the truth as though I were a prophet and no more, a channel stirred by spirit power of purely human frame, nor do I say that when I take his name upon my lips, my teaching cannot err, though that is true. A mere interpreter, he says, I'm not some prophet voice of special fame, in timeless reaches of eternity, the triune God decided that the Word 
the self-expression of the deity would put on flesh and blood and thus be heard. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. The claim to speak the truth, good men applaud. Jesus says, I claim much more. I am the truth of God. Third, I am the resurrection life. It's not as though I merely bear life-giving drink, a magic elixir, which men might think is cheap because though lavish, it's not bought. The price of life was fully paid. I fought with death and black despair, for I'm the drink of life. The resurrection mourns the link between my death and endless life long sought. I am the firstborn from the dead. And by my triumph, I deal death to lust and hate. My life I now extend to men and ply them with the draught that never satiates. Religion's page with empty boast is rife. But I and the resurrection, and the life. What a way to put it. It clearly brings out the truth of my text. The fall by Adam, the redemption by Christ. Adam fell, he lost the way, he lost the truth, and he lost the life. Jesus is the way, and he is the truth about God, and the only life that God will receive. And now we come to the last part, which is the exclusion the exclusion. Now this would be a remarkably odd church sign. I did not ask Ronnie to put this on the sign for fear of great turmoil. Could have put on the sign, no one welcome. That'd go over well. Everybody excluded. No one gets in. It's like, What happened when they changed the name of their church? They've lost their minds. But there is a universal exclusion to my text. No one, nobody, no how can go to heaven. Everybody's excluded. I don't care where you're born. I don't care what your genealogy is. I don't care what your background is. You, in and of yourself, cannot walk in to heaven. You don't have the right clothes. You bind him and cast him out. How'd you get in here? Remember the parable, right? You didn't have the right clothes for the wedding. Exclusion is universal. Status, genealogy, your finances, your age, your color, your good works. The message is, you can't come. But there is an approved exception. There is an approved exception. I like exception clauses, and I like this one better than any I've ever read. Now, you can work with this, and hopefully it will resonate in your hearts, but let's hear the joy of some exception clauses in the Bible. They go like this. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son. Except. Right? No one knows the Son except. Except who? Except the Father. Well, and no one knows the Father. 
will accept the Son. Are you ready for the joy? And anyone to whom he chooses to reveal him. Let me give you another context. You're at the transfiguration, and they see Jesus, and they see Moses, and they see Elijah. They have all this vision, and then their faces are down, all of this glory. They can't even look up. And then finally, they lift up their eyes, and they see no one. Now, that would be a shocker, would it not? Jesus, Moses, and Elijah gone and desertion. They look up their eyes, lift up their eyes, they see no one except Jesus. And that's all we need to see, right? Jesus only. And you remember in the Gospel of Mark, also in Luke, Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? There is none good except God alone, right? Except God alone. He's the only one who's good. (laughs) So think about our text. No one can come. Except, there's an exception clause here. The sign reads, no one welcome. And then grace that is given is this. All that are in Christ can come. Every one of them. Come and welcome. You hear the message, the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody's welcome except you if you So let's let the gospel thunder as we leave. And when the service is over and you depart the room, you take this message with you. And it sounds like this from Isaiah. Come, everyone who's thirsty, come to the waters. You don't have any money? Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. What do you spend your money for things that will not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good. Delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I'll make with you an everlasting covenant. John 7, 37, on the last day of the feast, that great day Jesus stood up and he cried out with a loud voice, crying out vehemently, if you will, if anyone is thirsty, anybody in the room is thirsty, he says to you, come to me and drink. You'll never come to this well again. My well is overflowing. You'll always be satisfied if you just come to Christ. Ah, we get to the end of the book, and the Spirit and the bride say, Come. Say, Come. And let the one who hears come. And let the one who's thirsty come. And let the one who desires the water of life without price come. Come one and come all. No one's welcome, but come anyways and come to Christ because in Christ you will be made welcome. Only those who believe Christ will be permitted entrance. Those who have exercised repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This invitation to come is singular. Come to Christ. Not by works, not by your own righteousness, not by money, not by your parents' genealogy, not by religious observance, but by Jesus Christ alone. He alone 
is the way to God. He alone is the truth about God. He alone is the only life that God will receive for you. Are you in Christ today? Now, you may perceive this message as evangelistic, and I suppose it is. I would preach this message out on the street as well as I would here. But it's also a great encouragement to a Christian because it's so clear. You could say to someone this week, do you know that all of humanity fail and lost their way and lost the truth and lost their life? But I have good news, co-worker, friend, family member. We have a Savior who redeemed the way, the truth, and the life. And he has said that no one can come to heaven except this one, the one who is in Christ. Dear co-worker, friend, family member, would you repent of your sin and come to Christ that when you die you could spend eternity in heaven? Yeah. Pray God bless his word. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches today. Brother Jeff, lead us in a final song, if you will.